Welcome to the Art and Science of Eating. I'm Jessica Begg, Registered Dietitian and Clinical Counselor. I worked for 15 years in programs for the treatment of eating disorders. I now help those that struggle with emotional eating and their relationship with their body. This podcast is where I answer questions to help people along this bumpy journey to creating peace with both food and their body. Hi there, and welcome to episode 22. This week's episode is a talk, How to Support Your Emotional Self, that I did within my private Facebook group, The Comfy Spot. If you're not in there already, of course, get on in there. It's a space where you can get and give support around happy eating that is not diet related, because of course, there's already enough of that. We're also a place where we talk about how to care for our bodies instead of fighting it. In this talk that you're going to listen to now, if you stick around to the end of the session, Nadia, who's in my connected eating group without any prompting from me, talks about how this group has been so beneficial for her. So stick around if you want to hear about what she says about that. And if you're interested in the connected eating group, we're currently closed, but we'll open our doors again in the fall. So if you want to be notified when we're accepting new members, email us at support at shiftnutrition.com to be added to the wait list. You can also jump onto the webpage that I'll listen to the show notes here too, to get added to the mailing list and we'll be notifying everyone there too. All right. So I had put it out to the comfy spot, what they wanted to do. At first, they wanted to do some talks on various topics. So this is the second talk I've done. And if you want to put your vote into what we do next, join into the Comfy Spot Facebook group. All right, let's jump on in. One of the questions that we put into the Comfy Spot talk was, one was I offered out was supporting your emotional self. And this comes up a lot because particularly why people come to see me is because food is linked with their emotions as it should be, but maybe it's, it's been um, done more, maybe more so than what they feel comfortable with. I'm hoping that we maybe we can understand to strike a little bit of a balance in this. Did you guys have any questions before we get started on anything that you wanted me to cover or, or specific questions about emotions? For now, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. I have questions along the way. Okay. So the first thing that I wanted to um, point out is that food and emotions, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Um, I put up this picture today and I realized I'm like, wait a second, that's not peanut butter. That's just butter. But (laughs) um, food and emotions are, they, they go well together because we, um, we express ourselves a lot through food. And it's really important that we maintain that. I don't think that we should separate that, but just understanding that they should go together particularly because we use food around celebrations um, to soothe in my family, like the love language is food. And I think that that's a lot for a lot of families that we cook for each other when, when somebody's not feeling well, certainly significant things. And the cultural significance of food is super important that there's certain foods that we eat at different times of the year, and we need to maintain that. Emotions have a purpose. So emotions, they are kind of like a sense, just like hearing, smelling, seeing things. Emotions give us information on the environment around us, but also within us as a little environment within ourselves. Emotions as part of our brain are one of the most basic things. And evolutionarily, neurologists say that the emotional part of our brain was developed first. So it's not something that we can stop or squelch is that emotions are really important for us 
and just like seeing we, you know, we're going to see things around us and our emotions are a part of that. So they, they also have purpose in that they tell us certain things. For instance, I feel fear when there's something really scary that's coming up or um, I love my family or excitement. Those kinds of things help us to, to understand um, our world it's basically about that. Okay, so this you guys have, may have seen, this comes up a lot actually when you're talking to counselors around um, an emotion wheel. This is an emotion wheel. When people haven't necessarily been in touch with our feelings, it's really hard to understand what we are feeling. And sometimes we use this wheel to help people understand. And I'll put this in the notes if people want to check it out afterwards. In the center of the wheel, there's some more basic emotions. And as you kind of broaden out, you can, we can get a little bit more of a nuanced response or a nuanced understanding of anger, for instance, is that are we feeling violated? Are we feeling betrayed or disrespected? Those kinds of things can, uh, that we can understand as a broader emotion called you know, anger. The thing about this is also we can have secondary emotions. So for instance, if we move around this wheel, we might feel frightened here. And then that response of feeling frightened, I might actually then get angry. So understanding what's going on in terms of our emotions so that we can understand what we're feeling and then properly address it. And so this is where food gets kind of linked is that if we haven't really, if we don't understand our emotions or we're, we haven't been able to express them in freely, um, we tend to use food to try to suppress them. So I'll go into that a little bit more here. Some of the reasons why this process of not being connected with our emotions can be because of what we describe as childhood emotional neglect. And there's different scenarios in terms of the parent-child relationship that can breed this sense of emotional neglect. Now, it's not to say that parents that may have not connected with these children's emotions very well don't love their children. They love their children entirely. It's just that perhaps there's these scenarios where the emotions in the child hasn't really been properly addressed. So just as some examples in here, the authoritarian approach to, to caregiving, which in some sense, all of us have probably experienced. So things like basically the parent telling the child, to not, to not feel. So an example of this might be a child crying and then the parent feeling uncomfortable with that and maybe also not feeling like it's socially acceptable, saying like, Shh, quiet, don't cry, rather than actually addressing why is that child crying and to support that child to understand that emotion and to deal with it. The permissive approach, adults, they will, it's just straight up difficult to address um, a child's emotion. So they'll just kind of let them run, run rampant. And so what happens is, is sometimes in these scenarios, the child has to understand their emotions without the support of a more knowing or more experienced parent. For instance, they might misunderstand why they're sad or misunderstand the emotion that they're feeling. Sometimes in this permissive state, because the child has to figure out their emotions on their own, sometimes this is where the critical voice can become more of a, a prominent stance because the child doesn't have a more thoughtful or caring parent to allow them to understand and be a bit more compassionate about their emotions. 
some of these, these next ones, uh, parents can be distracted, let's say, with things like caretaking, bereaved parents, maybe parents that have other issues like addiction or workaholism that are pulling them away from the family, mental health issues, depression, it's not able, again, to connect with a child. Parents that are very perfectionistic focused or outcome focused, that they'll be focusing more on whether or not the child is getting good grades versus are they supporting them emotionally. And this last example is, is that um, parents that they haven't gotten that framework of how to understand emotions that they won't necessarily be able to support their children. This, all of this that I've, that I've pulled together actually is summer is from this book. It's called Running on Empty by Jonice Webb. This one, I would suggest if any of these things resonate with you, this book is really wonderful in terms of understanding this concept of emotional neglect and some of the very well-intentioned and loving parents that may have missed um, some of the emotions that we have experienced and should experience through our, through our childhood. One, another way to explain this is called the super feeler. So one of the cornerstones of having a disrupted relationship with food is that often people will explain that they're super feelers. So they have really um, heightened responses to their emotions. And because of that, sometimes their parents aren't able to support them. So similarly with a, a parent that has depression would be an example is that because they've had to suppress maybe or feel quite low, they're not able to match the child's feelings, or in reverse, if a child is anxious, maybe the parent is not, and they, they don't really understand what the child is feeling. Or another scenario could be because anxiety and depression is so genetically passed down or very familial, is that the parent may have learned to shut down, to dissociate from their anxiety. And so when it comes up with their children, they don't know, again, how to connect with them and help them to understand. So being a super feeler, not having necessarily the skills to understand or interpret and to manage emotions, then, like I said, is food becomes a really likely um, coping strategy because, again, like I said earlier, food and emotions are very tightly linked. So it makes sense how this gets built out. Okay, what do we do then understanding in, in very general sense is what's going on in terms of emotions is sometimes what people will explain to me is that there's like a flip that switches where they'll go to food, or certainly that there's a state in, in being in which they can't think very clearly, they can't manage their emotions, and they're in this very heightened state, our more rational exterior brain starts disconnecting in terms of connecting between our emotional and rational brains, that connection separates, particularly when we're activated. We've all felt this when we're really in that state, we can't think clearly, we're just very erratic. At that point, it's really difficult to a, understand what we're feeling and then also find a, an appropriate response. At this stage, what's really important is to recognize we can't really think clearly. So all of these coping strategies that you've learned probably like going for a walk, like that's probably not going to be a good fit here. What I would get you to start thinking about is yes, actually going for a walk might be in a good state to, to help you release the tension, but to actually shake it out and to move and to get to the point where you can release all of this tension, restlessness, and then get to a point where then you're feeling a little bit calmer. 
know that sitting with it for some times, they say that it ha- this happens for about 90 seconds. So if you can tolerate this to some degree in whatever capacity that you need to, is that then we can start engaging our more rational brain. This is how I approach then once we're in this more calmer state is then thinking about some of the coping strategies. This is why sometimes these don't really work. And I know that people have heard about things that they've, they've said, like, I've tried to, to knit instead of using food, or I've tried to call a friend instead of going for food, but none of these things work. I typically find that there's a couple of things going on. A, that they're too activated. Like they're trying to do these things when they're, when they're not feeling a little bit more calmer or B, they haven't, they've mismatched the emotion to what the response is that they're trying to, or the coping strategy they're trying to match with that. For instance, they're trying to do something that would be more soothing, that would be well matched with something when they're sad, but they're trying to do maybe a soothing thing when they're angry. And so it's understanding what is the emotion that I feel and properly finding a coping strategy that matches it. These are my examples. And each of these little graphics are trying to point out different emotions. If you can try to go back, if I go back to this emotion wheel at the beginning here, you can take a look at these emotions and even using these interior, more broader general emotions, looking at sad, happy, surprised, bad, fearful, I'm angry, disgusted, is using those and then creating a toolbox of items When I'm happy and I would typically go to food to celebrate, what are some other things or when I'm feeling proud as like a reward or when I'm feeling blah, 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 like what are some things that when I feel this way, that could be a thing to augment in addition to food? So I'm not saying to completely separate food from this equation, but if you can add stuff to it, then it might make it a little bit what's the word I'm trying to look for, but like more complete, let's say, and not necessarily using food all the time or using food for all of these things. When somebody's using food for everything, often they need to use a lot or they don't, they kind of feel still not really satisfied as in like it hasn't really addressed that emotion. So we can still keep food and do some of these other things. So let me fast forward back into that, this list here. Some of the things that you'll see here is that I've got go for a walk all the way through all of these items because walking for some people can feel good in different times, but for a lot of other people can feel not good. So be aware of that because even though I've got that as an activity, that carries a lot of judgment too, is that sometimes people in terms of this match, because going for a walk, they've been told, oh, that's like a healthier response but it's not really what they want to do at that moment. It's not really what they're craving. And so taking a look at some of these other things, like hugging a pillow, I really like people don't, as adults, we don't really think about that, but it does actually stimulate that response. Just like getting a hug that we've seen that that actually lowers our heart rate and just kind of calms our whole nervous system. So some of those things are really great. My favorite is water bottle. I'm sweating here in my office, but (laughs) typically a water bottle is my favorite. Um, I find that very soothing. You know, when I want to celebrate, I tend to want to reach out to people. So that's why I've got call a friend there under that happy penguin. This one, I encourage you to build out. We've been talking about it in the group about this and about different things. That's all. Did you guys have any things that you thought about that you guys do that help with your different emotions? 
Um, I created my own emotion soothing toolbox and I actually, um, at, at the time that I created this, I was dealing with a, a lot of stuff. And so those, those four uh, pictures that you had were not enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mine actually has a uh, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. And uh, I have stress with regards to work, anger, happiness, uh, sad and bored, which is lumped in as one tired, uh, lonely, frustrated, which is a work related thing, guilt and anxious and worry. Those were things that I was experiencing all the time. And so I kind of jotted down when I'm experiencing those, what are some techniques that might help me in that moment to deal with this? And, and I find that it's a very uh, helpful chart that I have. I actually have it attached to a cork board in my office. Um, and along with the, um, the wheel, I find it uh, very helpful. Oh, good. Oh, good. So what have you noticed by doing that? Did anything shift for you? And if it did, what happened? Well, I've only, you know, I've only referred to it a couple of times because things have actually changed and I've become a lot calmer since. Um, but in the times that I've had to refer to it, you know, doing some of the techniques, uh, definitely helps. And, um, you know, staying actually anxious and worried. I, I think when I'm dealing with that, my first point is to stay in the moment. And I find that that's very helpful. I have to yeah. remind myself is stop worrying about what has happened or what could happen, but just recognize what's happening right now. And I find that it actually, uh, it really helps um, keep me calm, but you have to be like super mindful <laughs> yes. when doing it. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's something that um, it is not a transition that happens overnight. You have to be very mindful of what you're doing and, and put the extra effort in. Yeah, absolutely. Like, because it's so knee jerk reaction to either numb out to not feel them because it's just so quick, I guess is really what it is. So yeah, you're right. Like you really have to tune in and sometimes you have to use more physical tuning into how you feel first before you can even translate into what is this emotion that I feel. So for instance, um, you might feel, and I, this is what I, I sense when I feel anxious, my first cue actually is not that I'm anxious as an emotion. My first cue is that my stomach gets tight. And so that's a really good indicator of, okay, what's going on? My stomach is getting tight and then trying to unpack it. And if you're not accustomed to understanding your emotions, it literally is trying to learn a new language. For some people, it's very, very difficult. So you've got to start just even neutrally checking with yourself when you're not, when you think you're not feeling anything to be like, what am I feeling right now? Am I feeling tired? Am I feeling content? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm not there yet. I think I, I wait until I actually feel the anxiousness, for example. Um, but I, I'm not yet recognizing where I feel it before I can actually label it. Yeah with food too, actually, that's a nice, really parallel, Nadia, about hunger fullness cues, right? Is sometimes we're so used to waiting until we're so painfully hungry to eat and to address that urge. I think emotions can be viewed in that same way, is that if you wait until you're absolutely like in pain with this emotion, it's really hard to address and that we maybe overshoot it. Just like with food, if you wait till you're painfully hungry, then you'll overshoot to the point of overfull when you finally do eat and maybe feel out of control. And our emotions <laughs> can be that same. I'm laughing over here because that was me last week is trying to, yeah. I, I recognize that I'm overly full. So then I had to figure out, 
how or when do I stop eating so I don't get like that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that takes, is that those subtle, subtle little indications. And it really requires you being in your body. And we've so been accustomed to saying that we shouldn't be in our body and that we shouldn't listen to those cues or that we should override them. It was somebody that was saying today of like, you're supposed to overcome your fears. So you're not supposed to feel fear. And uh, yeah, that's not actually very helpful. Anything else that you guys are thinking about? Any other random questions that you guys have for me since I'm here? It doesn't have to be related to this talk. None that I can think of right now. Um, yeah, there's things that I'm working on this week. Uh, we'll see how I, I think it's too early to see what happens. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I think last week I had some successes with uh, uh, recognizing when when I was full enough uh, so that I didn't have that um, feeling of my stomach, you know, extending sort of thing, that over full feeling. So um, I think I did well last week and mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that it continues for this week. Great. Great. Kudos. All right. Well, thanks for coming guys. It was so nice to see you. And um, I'm in the group. So, you know, this, this time in this space, like certainly in the Facebook group is for you all. And um, so Take up the space as you should. You should take up the space in the real world and in this, certainly in this online world of the comfy, of the comfy spot Facebook group. Please take up the space because I love hearing your questions. I love um, hearing what you're working on. So please bring it all to the group because I know if I'm not the only one that loves hearing it, everybody else does too. I'm looking forward to more people attending because in the groups that I attend on Thursdays at one, I find that it's super helpful. The more people who attend because we all have different experiences and I I find it very interesting because there's a lot of similarities there uh, in between myself and a lot of the people who are in the group. uh, And it's really nice to, it's comforting actually um, to hear that somebody else is going through the same challenge Um, And everybody handles it and deals with it differently. So it's a good uh, platform to bring different ideas and, and just to see week to week what happened, right? Um, That's absolutely fascinating to see and to hear. Yeah, me too. I love seeing what people are working on and you're right. Like, cause I'm giving one point of view, but so many other people have a different perspective on the same point of view and so it's it's so rich the conversations are so rich so yeah thanks Nadia thank you all right great take care all I'll see you again soon good night good night this podcast is for education and information purposes only please consult your own healthcare team to discuss what is right for you and your care